Let's pray together, please. Your word is read and sung and spoken and lived out in this table of mercy and blessing. May we take in on this first Sunday of the new year all that you are, all that you wish to be in your people. May we give ourselves as fully to the work of love as we do to every other endeavor combined so that your kingdom comes and your will is done on earth as in heaven. Amen. It is that season, of course, when we are preparing for Christmas. A strange thing happens on the way to Christmas, and that is the church interrupts us with this season called Advent. The candle reminds us there are four Sundays before the Christmas season, and we're not there yet. We're not at Christmas yet. But most of us spend some time in these weeks getting ourselves ready for a fairly traditional and ordinary Christmas. We love the traditions. We love to pull out the decorations from last year and remind ourselves of those Christmas past, and we long for the traditional, ordinary peace and quiet and familiar rituals that comfort us this time of year. And then along comes the church with its gospel readings such as the one this morning. You were listening, weren't you? Try putting that out-of-the-ordinary passage to a traditional Christmas carol. There will be signs in sun and moon and on the earth distress. Let's be happy now. (laughs) Nations will be confused by the roaring of the sea. People faint from fear of what is coming on the world. Great. It just doesn't quite work. We hear these passages. We hear this reading from Luke's gospel, and we're reminded that Jesus talks about this time when we'll see more clearly. And for many of us, we are programmed to hear this apocalyptic language and immediately jump to assumptions about second coming and left behind and all that it implies someday out in the future, beyond us, when, when everything's going to be changed and God's going to come in a strong and powerful way, unequivocally. Everyone will see and there will be no question about it. Most of us are predisposed to hear this passage as a foretelling about the future. But what Jesus actually says in this passage and others is that when things get out of order, and they certainly do, when governments and economies and religion get ugly and unjust and broken, when the world follows its own beatitudes instead of Jesus' beatitudes, when the world talks about blessed are the rich, blessed are the sneaky, blessed are the powerful, then all creation is affected. Affected. Sun and 
moon and stars. There'll be chaos and floods and earthquakes and imprisonment and hatred of Jesus' followers and death. And Jerusalem, the city of peace, will be thrown into turmoil. And unless you've been sleeping, you know he's right now. He's right now. He's speaking about this day, our day, and every day. It's not a future prediction, but a present reality that things are amiss. We can talk about global warming and economic disarray. We can talk about the Middle East and Palestine and Israel. We can talk about cruelties in this world. And we can talk about the assault even on Thanksgiving Day a few weeks ago by those pushers of materialism. But that's not all Jesus says in this passage. Jesus also says, when you see these things in your world... Look up. Be on the lookout. Look for the extraordinary. For in the midst of all of these calamities, Jesus says, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And again, if you're like me, you're sort of uh, pre-wired to assume we're talking about a second coming here which is about as subtle as a marching band coming down the street in the middle of the night, that Jesus is going to come in some kind of power, being in charge and avenging old grievances and making sure that we know that our faith is validated, that we're right and everyone else is wrong. But I ask you, has that ever been God's way? Has God ever come into this world With that kind of power and glory? What is Jesus' power and glory? What if God, what if that sacred energy of life operates incognito, under the radar, outside of the prescribed ordinary ways? NBC News ran a story this week about a scene that uh, came to kind of national attention by way of Facebook. It was the story of a sockless, shoeless, homeless man sitting in Times Square, New York City, on a very cold night last week. There was a New York City police officer Larry DePrimo, he was actually on another assignment, but when he walked by, he said, this can't be. This is, this is wrong. He noticed that the homeless man was leaning up against a shoe store, of all things. So he went inside and talked to the proprietor and worked out a deal for a pair of weatherproof boots and socks and pulled out his own wallet and with his own money bought the shoes and came outside to where the homeless man was sitting and knelt in front of him and put on the socks and slipped the shoes on his feet to see if they fit right. We wouldn't even know this story. He wasn't looking for any kind of publicity. He wasn't doing it for any other reason other than it just seemed the right thing to do. But there was a tourist from Arizona who saw the scene and snapped it with her smartphone. And the rest is history. 
part of that history for you and me is not that this is just a feel-good story, but that those who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear detect, even in this story, Christ coming, present, doing the work of love, even when his holy name is not mentioned in the story. It's Christ. It's Christ. Mike told me this week about his volunteer work at Shelby Park, a mile from here, where our young adults have gotten us involved in a beautiful ministry with that community. Mike and others go uh, several days a week and volunteer to be tutors, working with the kids after school to help them keep up in their, in their homework and in their reading skills. Mike was there ready to help some kids teach, and they have a little thing of candy for those who, who do come in to read and do their homework. And There's this little boy who always comes in and wants the candy but doesn't want to read, and Mike said, no, no. He said, uh, let's at least read one book. He pulled out a book, and they sat on the couch together, and Mike was impressed with the young man's ability to read. But what he was really drawn to was the fact that the young boy leaned into Mike as they read together. And that human touch and that need that we all have for someone to to lean on, a body that we can feel and know cares about us. And as Mike told that story to our guys group on Friday morning, I thought, there's Christ. There he is. He's coming. The Son of Man is coming in clouds with power and great glory, said Jesus. And what if that power and great glory is in the form of a New York City police officer giving of himself or a a volunteer who is there for a young boy or maybe Christ comes as the homeless man or the young boy or those relationships that are formed and the kingdom comes. That's God's kind of power. That's great glory. It may not feel like much to you if your expectation is of a marching band coming down the street in the middle of the night, but oh, isn't this Christ's way? I think, as I mentioned just a few weeks ago in a sermon, that crazy movie that Will Smith was in, Men in Black, A story of the clandestine government agency that's set to protect the planet from these aliens that most of the average citizens don't even know exist. But they know. And I wonder if that's the work of the church. We see Christ coming. We recognize him. And you and I have a chance in the lives we live to reinterpret this whole second coming and to reinterpret what it means to be the church. We're the people of God. We bear the love in the world and we name it. 
and we celebrate it. And we hope by God's good graces to multiply it. I understand that for some this is not enough. Those who have suffered loss in this year, those who will come into this Christmas season grieving for one reason or another, they would prefer the marching band. They don't see God. They don't feel God. They don't detect the hope. They want God to come and fix it. All I can say is that Jesus has a word for you. Watch and wait and listen. It was 15 years ago yesterday that a young boy named Michael Carneal took a gun to Heath High School in Paducah. You know the story. Three kids dead, others wounded. Our country changed because of it. There was a story that came out about a mother of, one of, the, of a high school student at that Heath High School who heard the news and, of course, like all the other parents, jumped in her car, raced to the high school, praying all the, all the way, Oh, God, don't let it be my child. And if my child has been shot, please let my child live. But her child was one of the three who died. At some point, the medical personnel had to come to her and ask the terrible but necessary question, may we harvest some of your child's organs so that they might be used to help someone else in the future? In her numbness, she said yes. She didn't even remember saying yes. She found out later that her daughter's heart had been used to help another person live whose own heart was failing. There was contact made between the families and a very emotional meeting, as you can imagine. At the meeting, she said, I have have kind of a strange request. Can I put my heart, my, my ear, up against your chest so that I might hear my daughter's heart beating and giving you life again. This is Advent. That amidst the chaos of our world today, now, if we listen, we can hear the heartbeat of God continuing on, blessing the world changing the world with the power of love and love alone. My goodness, why have an ordinary Christmas? Let's listen as Advent people and discover the great joy that God is not done. Thanks be to God.